Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Uh, Today we're going to finish our series on the book of Zephaniah. And we're going to talk again about the discipline of the Lord, but we're going to talk about it in the context of how God takes his discipline and he uses it for the purpose of restoring us to real relationship with him. Now, if there's something I know about being a dad of five, uh, I have five children and none of them ever ran up to me, Tony, and said to me, dad, dad, could you discipline me today? Did any parent get that? Have you gotten that mark? Have have you had a moment, no moment like that in the bachelor door house? Oh, did Rachel actually do that, Tony? Okay. All right. Great. We have one perfect child in the house this morning. No, no, no child wants to be disciplined by their parent. And none of us run up to the Father, the Heavenly Father, and go, Heavenly Father, discipline me, discipline me, discipline me. But all of us need to know, and we're going to see this in the passage today, that God disciplines those he loves. We've talked about that over the last few months. But I want you to understand something. When God disciplines his children publicly, that is a chance for you to recognize that the father that created the universe that lives inside of you wants the whole world to know you're his child. And no matter what you do in your life, God wants the world to know publicly he's your father. Even in your worst moment, your darkest moment, your poorest choice, God the Father says, that is my child. I want to invite you today to take your program, your Bible, or your internet device. And we're going to look together at Zephaniah chapter 9, excuse me, chapter 3, verses 9 through 20, and answer this question, how does God restore us through his discipline. How does God restore us through his discipline? Look at verse 9. For at that time, I will change, this is God talking, I will change the speech of the peoples to be a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord, that is in unity. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughters of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. And on that day, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds of which you have rebelled against me. I want you to read that again. On that day, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. I want to read that again. On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones. You shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain, but I will leave in your midst 
a people. Somebody say it. What kind of people? Humble and what? Lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. This summer, I went on sabbatical for 25 years of pastoring. And during that sabbatical, there were two words that continued to resonate inside of me that I felt like God wanted me to focus on in my personal relationship with him. Sometimes it's difficult as a pastor to know whether God's talking to you or he's talking to you so you can talk to everyone else. And so I just assume that he's always talking to me and that I need to hear it first, okay? And you can't really go wrong on that to make sure that you're applying it to your life first. And so the two words that kept resonating were gentle and humility. The Lord wanted me to press in to the gentleness and to the humility that he had for my life. And so for a few years, I've been aware of this book. It's called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Now, some of you may have known his dad, Ray Ortland. Uh, so Dane is a pastor uh, and I had the pleasure of befriending him on social media. And the title of the book, the subtitle is The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. That pretty much covers it all, doesn't it? The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. And I just want you to know, uh, I've never read a book that I think does as good a job of explaining the grace of God while at the same time not compromising or redefining what sin is, which is, that's a very difficult balance to do. And in this particular book, uh, what he says is, and we're going to see this, is that there's only one place in the entire Bible where Jesus himself describes his own heart. And I thought that was interesting. And as I thought about it, I couldn't help but agree with it. Look at what Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 says. This is Jesus talking to us. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. So when God says in Zephaniah three twelve, I'm going to leave in your midst a people humble and lowly, he's saying, I'm going to leave a people who are just like Jesus. Do you understand that whatever it is that you go through in your life, if you will not give up, on the other side of that, God promises us that he's going to bring us into a season of being more like Jesus. So whether it's a trial in your marriage or whether it's a trial in your health or your resources or whether it's a trial in your parenting or your family, your extended family, your neighborhood, whatever it is that you're dealing with, if you'll press in today and say, I want to learn the heart of Jesus Christ. I want to learn the heart of Jesus Christ. You just heard Josh Bowl, which by the way, he's an amazing man of God. And he has a heart for the unreached people groups. And we partner with this ministry. And, and when you engage a calling like this, if you stay engaged, as you heard him describe his heart for Christ, he begins to understand what it is that God wants him to lead and do. The same is true for us. When you and I don't give up, we don't give in, we don't give out. We keep showing up. God eventually shows out. 
And when he shows out, what he does is he shows us from the inside out, look, because you haven't given up on me, because you've continued to follow me, your heart is reflecting more of who I've created you to be. So how does he restore us through his discipline? Number one, he restores us to being more like Jesus. He restores us to being more like Jesus. So where in your life is God potentially disciplining you? And by the way, he's not doing that because he hates you. He's doing it because he loves you. And where in your life is it a little painful right now? There's some suffering, as Dane would describe, uh, that's taking place in your life. It's creating some lowliness. It's creating some consternation in your heart as well, maybe even some confusion. Each one of us have an opportunity to grow in walking like Christ walks. See, for me, if I walk in gentleness and in lowliness, if I walk in gentleness and humility, what happens, strangely enough, what happens is I begin, you ready? I begin to trust Christ more with the details of my life. See, as I act more like Christ, I trust Christ more. And you know what happens when I trust Christ more? This is going to surprise you. I begin to rest in a restless world. I begin to experience peace in a peaceless world. I begin to experience joy in a joyless world. Zephaniah describes what it looks like to be gentle and lowly like Christ. Look at verse 13. Now, those who are left in Israel, uh, they shall do no injustice. So I want you to think about the context here. When you choose not to give up, think about Josh in this video. When you choose not to give up, even though the results aren't what you thought they would be and you're discouraged and you feel down, you feel defeated or you don't know what's going on. See, what's interesting is when you don't give up, God will begin to show you more of himself and his plan for your life and he'll begin to reveal to you how you can partner with him. And here's what happens to people who don't give up. They shall do no injustice. Now, what does that mean? That means... You ready? You start to care for other people more than yourself. See, if you're going to do no injustice, you got to pull up off your selfishness, you got to pull up off your bias, you got to pull up off this, pull up off that, and you've got to say, God, how do you want me to treat them? How do you want me to engage them? How do you want me to involve myself in a conversation? So do no injustice, and then what happens? Not only do you begin to care about how you treat other people, but then you speak no lies. All of a sudden, truth becomes really important. Truth becomes really important. Nor shall they be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them, somebody say it, what? Afraid. See, when you and I press into the attributes of Christ, lowliness, gentleness, humility, gentleness, what happens is we begin to care about other people than we care about ourselves. We begin to speak truth because that's who Christ is, by the way. He's a truth speaker. That's all Jesus does is speak truth. He never doesn't speak truth. He's always telling the truth. And if you'll listen to him, 
He'll tell you the truth about you. You go, yeah, but I don't want to hear it. That's okay. That's where lowliness and gentleness comes in. And if we can be gentle and lowly, if we can, if we can be humble to listen to what Christ is saying to us, what happens in our lives is that we begin to care more about others than we do ourselves. We begin uh, to actually identify with truth. And then this third thing that happens in this passage, and I love this, when you start caring about more people than you do yourself, when you start telling the truth, you know what happens to you? This is going to shock you. You start not to be afraid of what other people think about you. Huh. Isn't that amazing? And you find yourself just being courageous in ways that you never thought you could be and selfless in ways that that you never were able to be in the past. And all of a sudden, God is beginning to transform your life. So our God, he restores our joy in these moments. So principle number two How does he discipline us for restoration? He restores us to do good, tell the truth, and not fear others. He restores us to these three things. See, if you will continue to walk with the Lord, there may be relationships in your life that, that are bothersome to you from time to time. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about all the other, if you're married, have you ever thought about all the other people in your life that if you were married to them, how difficult it would be to be in relationship with them. See, you look at your marriage sometimes very unrealistically. Like you're engaging each other about everything, every decision, every second, every moment, every relationship. I mean, understand the kind of pressure and responsibility that your marriage has on it. And then imagine projecting that kind of expectation onto every relationship in your life, which by the way, you're not supposed to. I mean, that's the uniqueness of the married relationship. But I want you to understand that that God is using all the relationships in your life to help you to become the person that he created you to be. Now look at verse 14. Zephaniah says, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with how much of your heart? Somebody say it. Oh, all your heart. You even got to go gather those parts that aren't sure it wants to exalt the Lord. So how does he discipline us to restoration? Number three, he restores a joyful song in our hearts. He restores a joyful song in our hearts. I remember my pa Ralph. He was not a good man, my dad's dad, till he became a believer much later in life. Uh, but as a kid, I didn't know him. Uh, I only knew the saved Ralph Williams. And he would uh, come and get me, and I would get in his car, and we would go down the road, and he would start every drive like this. The old rugged cross. Every song, I mean, I went to the tune of the old rugged cross. And then he would look over at me, and he'd go, you want to go get some lickings? That's ice cream, by the way. Well, of course I do. And what's interesting is here was a man married and divorced five times. He was in prison. He was uh, abusive to his children. He was an alcoholic most of his life. And here is a man that decided in the winter of his life 
to let God put a song of joy in his soul. And because of that, I got to learn how to ride a horse. I actually got pretty good at it, by the way. And I got to learn how to have um, a a silly sense of humor because my grandfather, uh, as a 70-some-year-old man, the meanest dog in the neighborhood, I would watch him do this. He would go over to the dog that was just on the other side of the fence. And my my grandfather, Pa Ralph, he would lay in the driveway and spin around in the gravel like he was crazy. And then after he had tortured the dog long enough, that was mean. The dog was really mean. It'd bite everybody. He would get up and walk into the yard and tell the dog what to do. And I was watching this like, that is so strange that that my grandfather would do these sorts of things. But because he chose to come to Christ and because he chose to let God put a song in his heart, I got to watch his life in a way my dad never got to watch. And do you understand that we're going to see this toward the end of the message, that it doesn't matter where you're at in your journey. Don't let the regrets of your past paralyze you from being effective and fruitful in your faith in your future. Amen? Amen. And so right now, look at your life. Think about the relationships of your life and say to the Lord, Lord, I accept your discipline. Because I want to have a song in my heart that brings joy to my soul. Because if it brings joy to my soul, it will come out of me and it will bring joy to other people's lives. So don't give up on that important story. Look at verse 15. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He's cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. So when we submit to God, and this is very interesting, when we submit to God and we choose to trust him, all the fears of our lives subside. The moment that we say, we trust you, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know how you're going to bring us through this. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know why you're disciplining me here. I don't know why I'm going through this, or maybe I do know why, and I don't like it whatever the case may be, if I will receive that as a child with a, with a posture and a heart of humility and gentleness and yielded and say to God, God, I receive what you have for my life. I receive the story of my life. I accept it. I accept it. Trust he can do the impossible through you. Look at verse 16. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. You shall never again fear evil. That, I mean, that's an impossible thought. So how does, he, how does he restore us with his discipline? He restores our ability to do the impossible for him. He restores it. God restores our ability to do the impossible for him if we're willing not to give up, give in, give out, but to keep showing up. I look at verse 17. Now the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He'll rejoice over you with gladness. This is one of my uh, favorite verses in the Old Testament. And this is a life verse for our Vanguardian, longtime Vanguardian, Steve Moeller. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Steve sent me uh, an email on this sermon. He and I had a lengthy, uh, relatively lengthy conversation about this verse. Listen to this verse. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. 
Here's what he'll do for you. He's going to rejoice over you with what? Somebody say it. Gladness. You know, you're thinking to yourself, well, I guess he doesn't know me very well. No, no, he does. See, I want you to think about this. Your heavenly father knows you better than anybody in your life. And here's what he says he's going to do for you. After he takes you through discipline, he is going to what? He is going to rejoice over you with gladness. He's going to quiet you by his love, and he's going to exult over you with loud singing. So look at Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 again, Jesus' words again, because these two passages are parallel. Take my yoke upon you. Take my discipline upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle. I'm lowly in heart. And you'll find what? Somebody say it. Ah. See, if I accept the discipline of the Lord, you know what happens to me? My trust grows in him. Regardless of what's going on in my life, my trust grows in him. And you know what happens inside of me when my trust grows? I learn how to rest in a restless world. I learn how to have peace in a peaceless world. I learn to have joy in a joyless world. See, the moment that I stop fighting against what God is doing in my life, even if I don't understand it, even if I don't like certain parts of the story of my life, when I stop fighting against it, then all of a sudden, there's rest that comes from that. And we live, oh my goodness, we live in such a restless world. Now, Steve Moeller, uh, some of you know Steve. He's in our men's ministry. He sent me this uh, email. He said, Pastor Kelly has promised, here's the info about Zephaniah 17 that I mentioned to you. Uh, it reads in the King James, by the way. I want, to, I want to read you this version. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He'll save. He'll rejoice over thee with joy. He'll rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. The word for joy over thee is Hebrew. So listen to uh, the root of this word is to spin around under the influence of a violent emotion. And when it says violent, it doesn't mean abusive or aggressive, but it basically takes over you. Usually it's rejoicing. With singing, here is the Hebrew word and definition for this it is a shout a cry. It is shouting, triumphant song. That's what God is doing over your life right now. That's what God is doing over your life right now. God is singing a song over you that you're going to win. You are going to be victorious. So listen to what Steve says, because I really appreciated this. He says, so when I put it all together, I get the feeling from the Hebrew. Now, we know this is good. That this is what I could see you doing, Pastor Kelly. If Kentucky was down in the NCAA basketball championship game by two, and they sink a three-pointer in the last second. I just want to say to Steve today, I'm going to receive this as a prophetic word for April 2023. All right, thank you, Rand. 
It's kind of cool to think of God and the Father sitting on the edge of his seat, reacting to our lives this way, as opposed to just sitting on the throne with little emotion, Steve says. Think about that. The Father has moved up to the edge of his seat, and he is excited to shout a rejoiceful song of triumph over the circumstances of your life. That's beautiful. That's powerful. That's restoration. That's hope. That's peace. That's what real relationship is and should be all about. Now, when it says he quiets us, do you know what that means? It means he dumbfounds us by the fact that he loves us in our worst moments. I want you to think right now over the last seven days, and I want you to think about the worst moment of your week. And I want you to specifically to think about the worst moment that was your fault. And I want you to understand he has moved up to the edge of his seat and he is ready to shout rejoiceful, triumphal song over you in that moment, in that moment. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to that moment and I want you to say, Holy Spirit, I invite you into the worst moment of my life. Holy Spirit, I invite you into the worst moment of my life where I did injustice, where I lied, and I was afraid of everything and everyone. Let me say it again. I invite you into that Holy Spirit. I invite you into that moment where I did injustice, where I lied, and where I was fearful of everything and everyone except you, Almighty God. I invite you there. I invite you into that place. I invite you to discipline me. Principle number five, this is what we see in Matthew eleven twenty nine. He restores our confidence to rest in him. See, when you invite the Holy Spirit into the worst moments of your life, there is a peace, there is a rest, there is a joy, there is a rejoicing, there is a song of triumph that comes over your life. Amen? You're like, I don't know, I'll have to get back to you on that, Pastor. Look at verse 18. I'm going to gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you'll no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I'm going to deal with all your oppressors. I'm going to save the lame. I'm going to gather the outcasts. I'm going to change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. And at that time, I'm going to bring you in. And at that time, when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth, when I, and here's the key phrase, restore your fortunes. And here's the other key phrase, before your very eyes. You're going to watch him do it. You're going to watch him do it. I restore your fortunes before your eyes. How does he restore us through discipline number six? I love this. He restores to us what we wasted for him, from him. God is going to restore to us 
what we wasted from him. And so I want you to think about that in your life. What has God given us? Here's what he's given all of us. Jesus Christ gave his life so that we might live. And and all of us have done things of death. And Jesus Christ's death gives us a chance to say, God, you can restore what I've wasted. You can restore what I've wasted. Just a few moments, I'm going to have you stand, and we're going to call for baptism again. In the 11 o'clock service last week, we had five that came and then one after, and so we have six that uh, are going to follow Christ in believers' baptism the first Sunday in December. But I I, I want you to listen to me just a second, 9 o'clock. I know that there's people in this room that need to be baptized. Okay, You go, oh, I don't like that. I know. So listen to me. Don't wait until you can live it to become it. Because then you're going to try to take credit for it. Just say to the Lord in lowliness and gentleness and humility, I give you my life. It's yours. It's yours. It's yours. The good parts, the bad parts, and everything in between. It's yours. If you can bring something good out of it, come on. Come on. See, we look at our lives as human beings, as linear creatures. You know what I mean by that? We think that all the life we've lived is over. (laughs) Life is never over. I don't think you understand that. As Deal Moody said, when they say I'm dead, don't believe them, for then I'll be more alive than ever before. I want you to understand that God doesn't need you to be perfect for his salvation to be made known through your life to others. And so I'm going to invite you today, whether you've been infant baptized, praise God, we want to give you opportunity to declare I want to follow Christ in believer's baptism. I want to make this declaration. And if you've given your life to Christ and you've never followed him in believer's baptism, then I'm talking to you. And now's the time. So will you you stand with me? I want to pray over us. And then, Amber, I want to invite you to come. And we want to invite you to come. And we want to declare celebration. We want to sing a song of triumph over your life. We want to dance in celebration of the miraculous moment in which Christ became your Savior. And so, Heavenly Father, would you work in our hearts today? Maybe there's somebody watching online. But today, would you invite us into this song of triumph? And would you give us the grace by faith to step out and say, I am God's child. I give my life to Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, come on, all God's children said. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.